Libra, Leo, Cancer, Ralph, Charles, Paul, Larry. Lamont, how you doing, buddy? I am fantastic. How you doing today? I'm fantastic also. Yes, I am. I'd rather be here with you than out riding on the beach too, man. <laughs> right, right, right. I don't know if that's well, weird or not. <laughs> no, hey, look, it's a wonderful thing uh, to be yeah. here, period. But listen, before we get the show going, man, I want to send uh, our condolences out to... Uh, uh, Layla Ali and uh, Khalila Ali for the passing of their father. Absolutely. Mr. Muhammad Ali, Cassius Clay. Uh, he was the greatest. And from all of us over here, we want to send uh, definitely our sympathies and our condolences to the family. Now, having said that, introduce our guest. Well, we have a really interesting guest tonight. Her name, I know you're going to set me up for this one, boy. Her name is Corby Mitlead, and I hope that I have pronounced it correctly. Um, She has an amazing uh, kind of background. She's a certified professional tarot reader, a certified psychic, a trained medium, and an ordained minister. Her work is uh, showcased in Robert Schwartz's Breakthrough Series, Your Soul's Plan, and 
your soul's gift, highlighting her ability to retrieve clients' past lives in detail. She has 40 years' experience, and her abilities include spiritual intuitive counseling, past life retrieval and analysis, mediumship, and spirit guide conferences, including speaking with one's soul or higher self. Corby speaks and counsels at holistic expos, at seminars and workshops throughout the United States and Canada, as well as one-on-one sessions with clients worldwide. At the end, we will tell you how to contact her and uh, have more of a relationship with you, with you and hopefully with us. So, Corby, are you with us? You bet. And it's Mitt oh, Lide. You got, you got 500. You got the Corby he, right. He, he's going to give me. Hey, Corby, he felt like that was a setup, but. No, it wasn't no. A lot of people botched the last name, so don't worry about it. Everybody gets one. But it's good well, to be okay. here. Honestly, I'd rather it be him than me, though. <laughs> <laughs> That's why he, he switched that over to me, because he knew that I was going to get it wrong. That's what he did. Well, I am so glad that you're with us, Corby. We're really excited to hear uh, your topic and um, explore this with you. It, it's uh, really an interesting thing. And if you don't mind, um, we, were talk- we were looking here at what you call the SOP, which is a sentence of purpose. Sentence and of passion. A, a passion. Yep, big difference. So I'm interested if you could tell us a little bit about what that is. Okay. The whole thing is people come to me, and the one question people ask me that I can't answer is, what am I doing? What's my purpose? Because that's – can you imagine telling a six-year-old, Son, you're going to be an electrical engineer. He doesn't know what he's interested in. He doesn't know, is he any good at math? Is he better at art? What? So to ask, what's my purpose, means that you want to bypass all your learning, all your life experience, all of your interests, and just have somebody hand you something cold and hope that you can fit into whatever they tell you. Now, I don't know about you, but that wouldn't raise any passion in me. I think that's a good point. I, I, um, it's always seemed to me that passion was a good guide, at least a beginning guide, for where a person might want to go in their life if they wanted to be excited about it or, or um, get some satisfaction out of it. Mm-hmm. And I, I imagine that in your work, when you bring this up with people, they will uh, uh, often uh, try to get you to uh, give them that information. Oh, absolutely. I have to tell you, especially women, when you ask them what they want, they will say, I don't know. And they mean it. And this is why. You know, now sometimes this happens with guys, but mostly it's, it's with women. You know, you're two. And you see this big white thing and these little shiny things on top. And you reach and your mom whacks your hand and goes, no, hot. You're four. There's a plate of cookies. You're a smart four-year-old. You know there's more cookie in the big one than the little one. So you reach for that and your mother slaps your hand and says, no, bad. And you're selfish. So I'm going to give the big cookie to your brother. You're not going to get one because anyway, you're a girl. You'll get fat. He's allowed to eat them. 
So by the time they're five, women are so conditioned that anything they want, it's bad, they'll be punished, and somebody else will get it, that they have totally squelched what their passion is to the point where they don't know what they want to do from day to day. Guys, they have to live up to stuff. I mean, with my father, family legend, my grandmother sat there pregnant figuring out what first two names would go well with Dorkin M.D. My father was going to be a doctor. Now, luckily, he wanted to be one. But that's, that is the equivalent of someone coming to me and saying, what should I do? What's my purpose? It's like my yeah. grandmother choosing a name and saying he's going to be a doctor, but he's not even here yet. Yeah. <laughs> and so um, you, it sounds like you've been doing this for quite a while. I have primarily because I had to figure that out myself. You know, there's an old saying, we teach what we most need to learn. And that was true for me. I had to figure out who I was. Everybody in my family was medical. Dad was a great cardiologist. My mother was an RN. My brother is world famous in cystic fibrosis and asthma as a pediologist. I faint of blood, man. I was an actress. I was a writer. I was the completely different rebel. So I went through... I went through life, I became an actress, an author, an inspirational speaker, an executive recruiter, a legal assistant, a video producer, and finally a, a psychic, which pulled together everything. But I didn't get there till I sat down and said, what's my sentence of passion? And the way I describe a sentence of passion, it's your rallying cry. It isn't who you are or what you do or even how you do it. It's your vapor trail, how you go through life. So when you go skidding into heaven on bald pies and fumes in the tank and God hands you a beer and says, so, you get to say, I did this and wasn't it really cool? That's when you know you've got your sense of passion. And when I knew that, I was able to take everything that I, all of the intuitive stuff I'd been doing since I was 18, all mm-hmm. of my life experience, and turning it into this one gorgeous, fabulous career. You know, you you um, you corrected me correctly earlier when I said sentence of purpose, and I was thinking about that as you were talking, and I'm thinking, you know, I I read that very clearly, and then I just something switched in my head, and I switched over to purpose, and the way you described it makes a lot of sense to me, and I'm thinking that a sentence of passion is going to be possibly, as you said, very different from a sentence of purpose. Sure. Um, how, let, how let me do we explain the, the difference this? between purpose and passion. Just take the two words. When you have a passion, let's say that you have a passion for figuring things out, and you'll delve in deep and you'll try a lot of things until you get your answer. That's your passion. Your purpose might be to take that passion and become um, a forensic doctor, you know, Quincy or mm-hmm. um, uh, any, any of those things. Uh, the guy who figures out, Lacey on Castle, why did this person die? How did this happen? But you yeah. could also take that passion for questions and do what my nephew is doing. He is a brilliant, brilliant biochemist, and he is working with people that are going to figure out how to turn off the gene that gives you Alzheimer's. Now, those are two wildly different things. So well, I hope that boy is successful because I've been really perfect. worried about Lamont about that. Yeah. So that's an example of the difference between purpose and passion. I think that's a good description. Lamont, I heard you trying to make a little noise over there. What, what do you want to say? No, um, 
No, I was just listening, and no. again, I was trying to come up with some questions in my own head, though, because I was waiting until we got to that subject, but I wanted to know what was the difference between a, a medium and a psychic. Oh, that's clear. That's easy. Um, that's like what's the difference between a doctor and a cardiologist, okay? Everybody who goes to medical school is a doctor, but a cardiologist is a specialist for the heart. Psychic, a psychic is someone that uses their sixth sense, their intuitive abilities, and they can use them as a past life specialist, as someone who talks to spirit guides, as someone who is a psychometrist. That's where they take an object and they tell you what the stuff is there, or tarot reader. A medium specifically talks to the dead. Good description. I've been doing this a while, and people start to ask these kinds of questions, so it's pretty easy. (laughs) Exactly. Now, shut your mouth, boy. <laughs> well, listen, for, for the listeners that are just joined us, uh, the call at number is 646-929-2870. If you'd like to join the conversation, please press number one on your phone. We'd be glad to hear you, have you. Don't be afraid. We won't say nothing crazy. I promise. <laughs> You start by lying right there. You did. So, so um, I. This is a this is a topic, Corby, that's really uh, meaningful to me because I a lot of my clients and a lot of work I do is about helping people get identified about what their passion is and then their purpose. And so it's a conversation I have really on a weekly basis with more than one person. So I was really interested in that. And um, I'm hearing you say that we we should look for passion first and yeah. then let it help us, help guide us towards the purpose. Can I ask exactly a question right. right there too? Isn't that kind of hard in today's society to kind of look for your passion first when – Everybody's so bent on, I guess, survival or, you know, trying to be successful. You know, you could be successful having a good time as well as you can be successful schlogging, doing something you don't want to do. But, again, people these days, they'll do what they want to do. I mean, face it. If a friend of yours came to you and said, yeah, I'm going to make a real living as a psychic and I'm going to be able to just have people call me from all over the world and I'm going to do stuff for them and they're going to pay me and then I'm going to be in books and I'm going to be in written, you would pat them on the head and say, can I have some of that booze? Now, the thing is, I put it together when I knew what I, who I was, what I was, what I wanted to give to the world, my own sentence of passion is cross the bridge from fear to fearlessness and fly. When I can take somebody from point A to point B, when they thought they couldn't make it, when I tap them on the shoulder and say, here are your wings, you don't need a flight plan, now yip, I'm living my passion. And what I chose to do, how I constructed my career, is perfect for that. But I had to get to really know who I was, what was important, so that I would understand how to create the sentence of passion so that I would know. Do you feel like it's safe to say that we're all products of our environment? Nature and nurture both, yes. You know, there are some genetic proclivities for um, 
dyslexia or you may have the gene that gives you cancer or you may come from two genius parents and you have an IQ of 165. But you can have two people exactly the same and one person would simply waste that IQ thinking the world owes me and, and end up living in a box under a bridge. And another one could say, how can I make this really work? And then you've got somebody like Tim Ferriss. They might you know, Twins do not have a lockstep life. So they all come in with a certain nature, but nurture, the environment, will affect you. And the question is, can you take what you learn and work with it, live the examined life, or be a victim? really comes down to that. Agreed. So there's a, I have a thought here um, mm-hmm. about looking for passion and purpose and the sense that many people have about coming into life and thinking that they're fairly or pretty or necessarily ordinary. What kind of, of thinking do you have about that when people come up with that? Oh, I'm, I'm just an ordinary person. Why bother with this? People want to be special. God, they want to be special. But, again, it's slap the hand bad. If you are special, if you are an amazing writer or or painter or politician or fundraiser, whatever it is, you know, it may not get handed to you. You may have a hell of a lot of work. And just thinking about that much work may make you exhausted. Or you may do the the slow suicide that is called comparison. Look, am I Colette Baron Reed? Am I Edgar Casey? No, I'm me. Am I Wayne Dyer as far as my inspirational speaking and writing goes? No, I'm me. But what I am is a specific combination of all the crazy things that have happened to me. And frankly, if you've had what you consider an ordinary life, that's rare these days. Okay? I know one person that had a happy childhood, got into the career they wanted, family stayed married, everybody's friendly. Out of every, I know one person. <laughs> that's, you'd say, well, I'm ordinary. No, he's not. He's extraordinary. Because his pre-birth planning was, we will give you a gift of feeling whole from the get-go. Nobody is well, ordinary. You, there is no such thing as ordinary, just like there's no Joe Average. Just, you just said something that I think is worth quoting. I, I, I imagine you, you came up with it. You said slow. You said comparison was slow suicide. Did mm-hmm. you say and that? that just came out of the – that's not a line that I've used before, but you're welcome to use well, it. Well, that's a good line. I, I like that. That's a good one. I think you said a little different from that. Slow, something about slow suicide of comparison. Yeah, comparing. So that really the, is comparing true. Comparing everything about yourself really, to everybody else is slow it, suicide. It always kills you when you do it. Mm-hmm. It does. It, it kills. It's a good way to kill passion is to spend your energy comparing yourself to other people. That's the truth. Yes. There will always be people better than you and always be people worse than you. Because if you're the best and the best and the best of the world, great. But what are you going to do with it? Okay. Well, I, let's talk I saw, about Muhammad Ali, the greatest. But he yeah. didn't just stop at the boxing ring. He took the passion for life and for people, and he moved forward with it. Mm-hmm. And that is what kept him from being just a good but ordinary boxer and someone we will be talking about for years. 
Well, I heard, I saw one of his quotes recently, I guess, in the past couple of days. And I was just getting ready to say that, that as you brought him up, is that he said you need to have skill and will, but will is more important. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, we, we, as you said, you could have a natural ability, but if you don't have the will to to do the, the work, mm-hmm. it will not manifest itself in your life in some meaningful kind of way. That's right. So, so let me ask you this. Uh, let me let me be your guinea pig for a minute. So, if mm-hmm. I came to you and I said, I want to create my uh, sentence of passion, how would I go about doing that? Okay, well, you and I would do something that I call the sentence of passion consultation um, if you wanted to work with me specifically. And you would have homework. I have about, oh, a page and a half of questions that may seem completely deranged. They are all over the map. Things like, whom do you admire and why? What ticks you off and why? What superpower would you crave and how would you use it? Are you a big picture person or a detailed person? How do you know? In what situations do you put yourself first and why? When are you most at peace? When do you run towards something rather than away from it? And that's just a few of them. And people are really eager to start. But then when they start doing these questions, most of them come saying, my God, this was hard. And I said, yes. We are taught not to look at ourselves this closely. If we do, to find things that are wrong and you know, bitch about them, or to be modest and, and if we're really good at something, say, no, 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 you're better. So the chance to really understand who they are in a lot of facets is hard, somewhat scary, but wonderful, wonderful chances to discover the treasures that you came in with. Well, I, I thought those questions were great. I thought they were interesting. I, I, I um, I'm glad we're recording this because I'm going to go back and write them down. But I thought it was <laughs> hey, an interesting hey, hey, Matthew, kind that's of. That's what I was saying. Those were some great questions, but she went through them so fast, boy. I, I couldn't tie them all down. <laughs> we got right. it down, man. You can Let me go give back you a couple of examples of how I answered because I, of course, did this for myself to make sure it worked. Whom do I admire and why? A lot of people say, well, I admire my mom and I admire. No, mine was Angelina Jolie for making courageous choices and damn the public. President John Adams for fearlessly creating something no one in the world had ever seen. John and Abigail Adams for their marriage. Wayne Dyer for being wise but accessible. And the wonderful Swami Beyondananda for cloaking wisdom and humor so it reaches more people. And if you look oh, at each one of those people, you're going to see an aspect of who I really am. I see myself mm-hmm. in these other people and love it. Yeah. So... The more you do this and you really get serious about it, the more fun you're going to have, the more you'll realize, no, darling, you are certainly not ordinary, not even close. What was the question about uh, who do you, how did you say it, who do you look up to or who? Who do you admire and why? Let's see. Lamont, you answer that question. No, I can't answer that question. I'm gonna have to. I'm who gonna have do you? To, uh, I'm who have do to you really admire? That was some thought. Well, I know Muhammad Ali is one of them, right? Oh yeah, he was uh, definitely before his time and and his 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 craft. Uh, he was definitely a, um, a great athlete, but 
he was his own person, you know. I don't think he let society manipulate his thoughts, and I thought that got him in trouble a lot too, but he spoke what he felt. You have to respect that, good or bad or indifferent. Yeah. Well, Corby, we got him going already now, don't we? We do indeed. (laughs) (laughs) I thought I would get to that question before he got to me. So I, I, those are those are great questions. I, I think they would provoke some real interesting. So you say you got probably like 20, 30 or forty of them that you get people to look at. Something like that, yeah. And then when they do, they get to understand what really interests them. They learn the difference between their motto and their sentence of passion. And mm-hmm. once we get the sense of passion, then we just see how to put it out in the world. Well. Since you brought that up about motto and sentence of passion, what would you say is the difference between those two? The motto is what you tell yourself in the mirror every morning. Your sentence of passion is what you tell the world you think is important and come on, follow me. So, for instance, with me, um, I've got two mottos, really. The first one is kind of humorous, and it's from a book called Time Enough for Love by Robert Heinlein. And it's, in life, moderation is for monks. Take big bites. But the serious one is live the examined life. Don't be a victim. If something happens, look and says, okay, what do I need to learn from it? How can I use it? And mm-hmm. as someone who's done the cancer dance three times, I really had to do that. Yeah, that's amazing that you did that and got through it. Mm-hmm. Amazing. So a motto, I was sitting here thinking now, do I have one? Um a sentence of passion, could you say again, you said you compared a motto was and a motto of passion is the was... thing that you say to yourself, this is how I want to live okay. my life. Your All sentence right. of passion is, this is what I want to teach other people. Teach others, okay. Right. I mean, I, I pulled up some of the sentences of passion that have come from some of my workshops. Oh. Um, so, the divine has it handled, eat your popcorn, which I love. <laughs> Um, when you know who you are, you're never lost. Life's a party and you're invited. Life is a feast, not a famine. Go get your plate. Caring trumps injustice. Every mistake leads the way to accomplishment. Be the person you were meant to be, not the one you were told to be. Your fire lights others past the flame. See, these are sentences that are so juicy that can light a fire under other, other people that they may not think they have permission to do. But if they hear it from somebody, and when you've got your sense of passion, trust me, they walk out of these workshops and these sessions with me alive. Then they say, yeah. it's literally passing the flame on one person to another. Well, when when a person those I'm, I appreciate that you read uh, shared those because I, I it really helped me get a better focus on on what you're saying, and I hope the people that are listening to us also got it from that because those are, when you hear an example, it kind of points you in a certain direction. Mm-hmm. So, um, a, a sentence of passion is is something that you want to you passionately want to teach or share with the world do you consider it uh, legitimate in sense of passion to 
to use like a quote from uh, somebody else, a poet, or, or you, you push people to come up with completely their own language? I really do both their own motto and their own sentence of passion. You know, that's why I have two mottos. I love the one by Robert Heinlein, but it wasn't mine. Live the examined life is mine. And when they have a sentence of passion that they have created, it has absolutely come from their life experience. Mm. They own it. They mean it. I mean, one of the things that when I do a, a sentence of passion workshop, maybe 30 people, and everybody walks in as a stranger. But when we're done, that's a tribe. For one thing, I pair people off. They've done their homework ahead of time, and then I have them exchange homework because someone who isn't you can look at what you've written and say, I see that you're really passionate about um, living off the grid and, and a small carbon footprint, and you may not be able to articulate that, but it's what someone sees. Yeah. When everybody has their sentence of passion by the end of the workshop, I make everybody stand up, and they say it three ways. They say it to the crowd like they're teaching in uh, uh, an academic class in college. Cross mm-hmm. the bridge from fear to fearlessness and fly. Then I tell them, preach it, baby, like you are one of the charismatic preachers at the big California megachurches, and you put it across to your people. Cross the bridge from fear to fearlessness and fly. But then I tell them, choose one of the people, because we kind of know each other by now, and walk over to them, crouch down in front of them, and give them quietly but passionately your sentence of passion as if you're giving them the key to their own life. When people do that, they understand the wisdom behind it, the passion behind it, and the fact that what they have created for themselves can be a gift for somebody else. And three times always hammers it in. I love the the, the three different ways you suggest to do that. And I mm-hmm. think that's a that's a great combination of that would probably I'm guessing is very inspiring to whoever's doing it and the people who are listening to it. Yes. Yes, and definitely, I mean they really own makes, their stuff when they say yeah, it three times in public. It makes you definitely look at your star player and re-examine yourself. It does. Yeah, great, great process. So, um, I would uh, answer all those questions, and and then um, if if I'm let's say I have my sentence of passion. Mm-hmm. And it's really clear, and I've gone through that process. What do I do at that point? Well, at that point, that's where um, I switch over. You know, one of the things, I don't believe that I'm here to amaze you with my wiki-woo. I could care. I'm here in service. So at that point, I plug into both my experience as an executive recruiter where I canceled people in careers for years and my psychic ability and we see what are the avenues in the world that you could do this. Okay. So let's say that you said, I want to, I want to start a business. Um, I really believe that if you had something like a Walmart version of Carbon Footprint Zero products, you could make a lot of money and you could change the world. So then what we would do is I would sit down. I have a particular deep dish tariff spread called the Entrepreneur's Spread. 
where we would look at you, the energy around the possible business, the brick-and-mortar location, how to market it, boom, boom, boom. Then we might say, well, if you don't think that it's going to go in Duluth, Minnesota, where do you need to move? We would look and see where the energy brings you there. We would look and see how you wanted to um, put it in the world. What was it going to do for you? So I don't just say, fine, here's your sentence of passion, have a nice life. Um, we work with it so because so many people go to seminars, go to workshops, and they come home with these wonderful lists, and then what the hell do with them? But if you have an idea, so if my sentence of passion is, life is a bunch of flowers, pluck the weeds, and I really do want to do this business where I can get you off the grid as much as possible, then you have the idea, what are the flowers, what are the weeds we want to pluck, where is the mm-hmm. and, you know, too much of, of use of gas, where do you want to change this so this is a multipurpose solar oven, whatever it is. You see how many places you can make the sense of passion work out in the world. So you have not only your instruction sheet, but a whole bunch of supplies in your backpack to go make it work. Well, it sounds like you you put a, quite a bit of energy in helping people turn it into some practical um, how to make this actually manifest itself, and I, I think that's got to be really important once you get uh, fired up about it. I have a related question to that, and I was thinking about what we, how we introduced you as being expert in the use of tarot um do you use that at all in helping people work with sentence of passion or how they are going to move out into the world with it how does that fit into the experience oh lord yes tarot was wonderful tarot will help people with what i call the everyday tour bus house yard car car, kids finances okay god you put me here i need a few clues corby Uh, but i mean Corby, real quick, I didn't mean to interrupt you, but can you give us a brief description of uh, what a tarot is for the listeners that don't even happen to know what that is? Oh, that's easy. Okay. Anytime you see a grade B movie or maybe you go watch Live and Let Die, the James Bond movie that had Gene Seymour at Solitaire, everybody sees tarot cards. The bad gypsies use them in in bad movies, etc. They are 78 cards with um, major arcana or the major trumps and four suits. And they are ways of, they're psychological tools as well as, uh, if you will, psychic doorways for answering practical questions. There is nothing evil about them. It is just ink on paper. They are a neutral, just like fire is a neutral, depending you want to burn a house down or cook your pizza. That help? Yeah, uh, yeah. I just wanted to explain to some of the listeners because, like I say, they know the cards or seen them, like you mentioned, but they didn't really know what they were used for or the origin yeah. or, you know, how and they applied. And, oh, please, there are three cards that freak rookies, death, the devil, and the tower. It isn't that. When you get a death card in the tarot, it means death of an old way of life, death of what you've outgrown, death of what was never you in the first place. It's transformation. Uh, the tower card... I tell people, think about it like an imploding sports stadium. Where is this show based? What city? Us? Yeah. Vegas. Vegas. Okay. I'm going to move over into um, San Francisco. Let's say the San Francisco team wants to build a new sports stadium. They've got to blow up the old one and clear the ground in order to build the new one. So the tower card is literally taking things down to root, getting rid of things, and reconfiguring. 
And the devil card is not Mr. Horns in a Tail. It's not even Jack Nicholson. It is being bedeviled by something, someone, some situation, or being held back by your own self, by your bad habits. And that's why, you know, these are not scary cards. These are cards that give you clues, and then you can work with it. Nothing is set in stone. I don't care who you are, even the best of us, Psychics or readers are only 85% accurate. The only one 100% accurate is God, and he's not doing a radio show this Sunday. At least not about this. <laughs> it's a letdown for Lamont. There. One other question, Corby, on that. What is is there any similarities between tarot cards and uh, rune stones? Well, in that um, they can be used to um, look at the future. Rune stones originally weren't used for future casting the way they are now. They were um, signs of blessing or curse or whatever, or, or, and they were literally the Norse alphabet. Um, again, tarot cards are a tool. I mean, I'm just going to go right from that to a Ouija board. You know, people use Ouija boards without knowing how to ground, center, and shield, which is basically to keep yourself protected psychically. And I compare it to opening up your door in a strange neighborhood and yelling free beer. You don't know who's out there, but they heard you and they're going to come. For all that there have been things like Jane uh, Jane Roberts, who channeled the uh, entity Seth and wrote a lot of books about it through a Ouija board, I have had to handle gibbering teenagers who come to me because they just said who's there without any prep and what they got spelled backwards with the planchet very quickly was I have an axe and I'm here to kill you. Trust me, that wasn't their Uncle Danny. <laughs> so, you know, you've got to learn to use these things smart. Do you use different kinds, different, um, I, I, I think they're different um, kinds of tarot cards? Uh, yes. Yeah, well, there are tarot cards, and then there are things called oracle or divination cards, which are a much more modern thing. Um, if you, you know, Everybody has probably heard of Doreen Virtue. Her thing is angels. So she has lots of decks that have angels on them, and okay. they are not based like major and minor arcana like the tarot, but they are good cards for clicking information. Um, I use eight or nine different decks when I go out on the road. Um, very often I will use two or three in one reading. Let's say you guys wanted to look at a relationship. Um, John and Rhonda are having trouble. so I would pull, But I wouldn't say leave him or whatever. I'd pull five cards to show what their relationship was, one for John, one for Rhonda, one for the relationship, one for what they needed to know and best possible outcome. But under that, I have a deck from John Gray. This is the guy who wrote Men Are From Mars, Women Are From Venus. Mm-hmm. It's a relationship deck, and I would pull five cards there. What John came looking for in the relationship, what Rhonda came looking for in the relationship, why uh, their souls decided to try a relationship, current stuff they're working on, and probable final karma. Because the one deck will give extra nuance and understanding to the everyday deck, which is the tarot deck. I don't know many people that read with two or three decks at once. I'm, I'm pretty much the only one I know except for those I've taught. But it it's makes an a interesting. Difference. It's an interesting uh, idea. It's really kind. Of, it is interesting. So sometimes you use more than two. Mm-hmm. Sure, I've used as wow. many as four different decks in one reading. The wow. reason I love decks is people are visual, and if you can show them 
All right, let's take, there's a card called the temperance card in tarot, and it shows an angel pouring water and not spilling it from cup to cup. He's got one foot in a river and one foot on land. The allegory is the water is emotion. In order to keep your emotion in check, you keep one foot in reality, that's the foot on land, and one foot in where you want to go, that's the foot in the river. And people get that. They like the stories. Then it's not just, oh, it's a spooky card. Well, the card is telling me something. It's got a story here. And they listen and they learn. Next question. Well, <laughs> <laughs> I was waiting for Matthew to like this big moment of silence. <laughs> Look, I've been doing this for so long and done so many lectures and so many workshops, and I love talking about it. Uh, one of the things that's part of my soul plan is I'm a teacher. It doesn't necessarily mean that I have to do the heavy-duty calculus stuff. Uh, I enjoy working with the people I call rookies, teaching them who they are and how to find more of themselves without you know, beating themselves to a pulp in the process. So give our listeners some baby steps, Corby, in order for them to start finding out who they are because I'm sure there's a lot, a lot, a lot of people out there that are still walking and trying to um, live up to somebody else's expectations and don't know who they are. So what can they do to start if they're one of those types? Well, the first thing I would tell them is drop the judgment, Okay. Most of us are judging everything all the time. We judge what we look like in the morning. We judge if our hair is good. We judge the car that somebody is driving, etc., etc., etc. And when we're judging, we have no room to learn. So I tell people, uh, learn to be a happy Martian detective. And here, here's the idea. If you were sitting in front of me and you had water coming out of your eyes and down your face, I might say, why are you crying? But I could be wrong. A Martian would look at you and go, why is there water coming from your eyes? And the Martian would be right, because maybe you've got allergies, or maybe your contact lenses are bugging you, or maybe there's an emotional basis. So the thing that I tell everybody is look at your life like you're a Martian, because something you may take for granted, other people may see fabulous. And when you're looking at things, you may see what you keep bumping up against all the time. Um, on my Facebook page for Fire Through Spirit, that's where I do my weekly blogs. Um, the first uh, Monday, the blog is on there. Then I tell people it's um, observation day where you go out and you just watch the world like the Martian and you see how people are reacting based on what you read in the blog. The next day is meditation day where you kind of just churn it in your own head. The next day is alchemy day where you go out and you Take the lessons you've learned from the blog and see if it can change your life. Last day is play day, and that's where you get to make up your own little affirmation card because by the end of the year, you should have your own deck of oracle cards. You shouldn't need mine. That's the other thing. I don't have all the answers. You do. You got your answers, guys. Nobody should be your only guru. It's one of the reasons that I tell people when they say, do you mind if I go see another psychic? Hell no. You should. They'll have a different background. They'll have a different way of explaining things. They may have a different specialty. It's not a, because if any psychic ever says, you should only go to me, everybody else is wrong. Run, 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 because that is not the truth, and that means that they're trying to box you into only trusting them, and you don't do that. You trust yourself first. 
Absolutely. Corby, when did you discover that you had that psychic ability? Well, that goes back to when I was nine, and I read a book called The Witch Family by Eleanor Estes. And instead of thinking, ooh, that's scary, or ha, 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 I thought, and your point is, I knew there was magic in the world, and I wanted some. Fast forward to 1973, when I was a senior in high school. Yes, I'm that old. That was when Live and Let Die came out, and at Spencer Gifts, they had the James Bond 007 tarot deck. Now, you want to be a hippie, an official hippie in 1973, you had to have the elephant bells and the love beads and a deck of cards. So I bought a deck of cards. But unlike a lot of my friends, I stuck with it and read for friends, making sure that my ego stayed out of the way. All of a sudden, in 1994, I could do hands-on healing and talk to dead people with no training, which is when I hung out my shingle part-time. And then 9-11, my husband and I watched the towers burn, and I turned to him and I said, I need to do my work full-time. People need to know that there is another truth out there. And he said, I believe in you. Go do it. And I haven't ever looked back. It's been full-time since. That's powerful. So if... If I was, um, let's say I have a client um, who says to me, I think I have psychic or intuitive abilities, what would be your suggestion to that person if they, if they don't have any, any training, any experience whatsoever? Please get a book on boot camp. Please. If you go onto my website, you're going to see uh, Corby's 14 Spiritual Awakening books. And the one that I would recommend for them is called Psychic Protection, Balance and Protection for Body, Mind, and Spirit, and it's by a fellow named Ted Andrews. That will walk you through the basics. And if you want to learn how to do the stuff I do, the book I learned from is called Opening to Channel, How to Connect with Your Guides, and it's by a woman named Sanaya Roman, S-A-N-A-Y-A Roman, and Dwayne Packer. They're both still out there. And trust me, there are, what, 8 billion people in the world these days? I can't read them all. You want to come and be a psychic? Hey, there's room, baby. There's room, huh? Yes. Mm-hmm. So, um... That seemed like, seemed like it could be kind of scary for somebody who's not very educated. Seemed like they can start reading stuff and go off on the wrong road. It very often can happen, it, which is why, you know, I take my time with rookies and I show them, look, I'm a normal person, you know. Um, I'm not someone who necessarily believes my own press. I'm not someone who thinks my aura don't stink. I mean, how do you do it? And the other thing is get them to laugh. If they laugh, then their conditioning drops and the information gets in. Because when you can make someone laugh, they don't look at you and feel scared like you know so much more than me because that's part of the problem. If people are scared, they fight back, even if they mm-hmm. don't know what they're fighting. Yeah, that's true. Right. Agreed. Listen, I, I don't, I'm sorry to interrupt this, but I, I want to make sure I get another question in here before we get too close to the end. I'm interested in this, in this idea. What is pre-birth planning? Okay. Pre-birth planning is uh, what I did with Robert Schwartz in his two books. Yes, we have free will, but you come down here with ideas and goals that you want to achieve because karma is not carrot and stick, bad karma and good karma. Karma is five things. It's 
contrast. You can't learn about abundance if you're only rich. You also have to have a life that's poor. Service in the world. Healing. Um, There's also healing of your beliefs. Mm -hmm. And... All right, so let me see. Um, And and the karmic balance, unbalanced energy. And remember, unbalanced energy is not that one energy is bad and one is good. It's just it's out of balance. Okay. Um, So let's say that you came down and you decided that in this life you wanted to learn about how women should be treated equally to men. You want to make sure that there's no sexist values, Okay. You could okay. learn that two ways. You could either have that innate knowing and you go through life, you know, like Alan Aldous, uh, a feminist. So he's someone who has always tried to show male and female equality. Or you could come in as someone like Donald Trump, who does not believe it, and keeps having to learn it over and over and over again. Okay? Mm-hmm. One of them, it's like someone who went into college and took gut courses. And the other one is double major plus lab. Now, I came in with a certain set of things I wanted to learn, and because of some of the choices I made in my life, I had double major plus lab. Um, in the book, uh, I'm actually one of the subjects as well. Uh, they named me Doris in the first book. And you'll see why the wrong choices actually kicked in my need to deal with cancer so I would understand women are more than their bodies. So, Either way, I graduate with honors because I will learn what I needed to learn. But in one life, I could have learned it easy, and this life, I could, I, it's been more difficult. But both lives are of value. So, was pre-birth, so pre-birth planning, I'm hearing the, the ingredients that you're talking about, that you're, you're saying people in, in the space before this life mm-hmm. have Your soul. A, your soul creates your personality, okay? Your personality is a coat, and that's why the idea about you only live once and reincarnation can both exist, okay? There is, this particular soul has been down here lots and lots of other times, and I have found other lives. The one just before this one was an Italian-American in Chicago. The one before that was a German World War I pilot. The one before that was a doctor... Uh, from Pennsylvania, who was a field medic uh, for the Union side in the Civil War. Notice, nobody is like famous, famous, famous. So, but those are all coats. They all come down once. Corby Mitleid will never be down here again. The soul will be, but this coat, this personality gets hung up in the closet up there. But but the but the being the energy that wear you're saying the being the energy that wears it is the thing that goes. So, That's your soul. So if That's if you. I do a certain kind of work on myself in this lifetime and mm-hmm. acquire certain growth that passes on with my soul into the yeah, next that's life. That's what the soul comes down here for. This is a world that is dualistic and changing. Up there, everything is unified. It's the old example of the white room. If you're in a room with white room, the white room with white walls and white curtains and a white piano and white furniture, you have no idea what black is. But if all of a sudden black steps into the room, boom, you've got duality. You see this is black and this is white. 
You know, the Eskimos have 200 words for snow and not one for palm tree. Guess what? Because <laughs> they don't have a palm tree. Bingo. It's interesting that there's so many words apparently for love in, in um, I think it's Sanskrit, mm-hmm. and not too many in English. Makes you wonder, doesn't it? Yes, it does. Yes, it does. So, um, since we're talking about reincarnation and the, and the movement of the soul from one life to another, what would you say is your understanding of the end point? Where are we going? Or, or, or is there an end point? This little pea brain has, that's like asking my cat, can you please explain string theory and quantum physics? The cat will look at you and say, tuna? <laughs> um, we don't have a big enough brain to understand that. What I do understand, at least for now, is the road. Um, if you're going someplace where there is no time or space, all things are one, and time really is a web, not a line. My other lives are happening on an, in another universe simultaneously. What's, what brings us to the central point? We don't have enough brain power or understanding in these little bitty bodies to know. But what moves us forward, which we have learned from beings that we channel like Dr. Peebles and messages we get from those that we have loved and who have gone on before that another intuitive will channel, and she couldn't possibly know that stuff about us. We do move on and we do move forward. And the point is to bring ourselves to that one singular point of pure compassion, pure love, no judgment. But because we live in these little bodies in this dualistic world, it's kind of hard to see. Enjoy the ride. That's the key. Enjoy the ride. Well, I, I think I have a lot of questions. I'm always interested in the subject of reincarnation, and it sounds mm-hmm. like you talk about it a lot and think about it a lot. I do. Um, do you have any sense of, you know, the, the Buddhists have this wonderful saying that it takes 10,000 lives to reach enlightenment. Mm-hmm. And you can't, um, you can't ask her, Matthew, what did you used to be? <laughs> I can't. I can't ask. Well, that Matthew, question. let me let me tell you how that works. Okay, too many people just want to know who they were without purpose. Or someone comes to me and says, "You know, I must have been Anne Boleyn because I can't wear turtlenecks." Hello. So I have something that's called a soul plan reading, which is based on the book, uh, but it's very intense work. Again, you're going to have homework, and you're going to show me in writing what challenge you keep stumbling over in your life, whether it's a really difficult relationship or abandonment issues or you're parenting a handicapped child, why, or why was I born deaf, any of these things. Then what I do is I take that information and I go into deep trance channeling for literally about five hours and I will bring down past lives that affect you in this life so that you understand why you're where you are and what you've brought from past lives and how you can change it. Yes, I can do fast things. Um, when I was at Lilydale, which is a very famous spiritualist community in western New York, uh, Rob and I were there lecturing, and I was doing what I call the lightning readings. And that's when I can't explain much, but I'll do what I can fast. And a woman said, 
why do I always freak out when there's wet hair in my face? I feel so stupid and it doesn't make sense. And I said, okay, give me a minute. Dropped into trance, told her, okay, there's a five-syllable answer, Lusitania. In 1915, you were one of the passengers on that World War I-era uh, ship, and it was torpedoed by the Germans, and it was sinking. You had not bobbed your hair the way they had during World War I. You still had the big Edwardian mass, so you had a lot more hair to drag in water, plus debris <laughs> kept getting caught. And it pulled you down and you drowned. And she looks at me and says, oh, my God, is that why I'm afraid of boats? And I went, probably. Well, that's a, that's a, that's a beautiful story. I love that. You call it a lightning, a lightning what? A lightning, lightning reading. reading. Boom, right there. That's yep. cool. Yeah. I, I, uh, I've always had a feeling for probably 20 or 30 years that the last part of my life, the last big section of my life would be the best. Would you call that a kind of intuitive sense uh, about the future? Or That's a knowing. Wonder- That's a knowing of what your soul wants for you to do. I mean, face it, we all have intuition. Some of us listen to it and some of us don't. If you have that deep knowing that you just know is real and true and you have no idea where it comes from, I'm going to say trust it. Well, I certainly have. <clears throat> I I uh, I'm in what I call year four of my uh, 33 year plan to live to 100. So it's, I like that. it's I've started to talk about it like that because it's been such a such a strong feeling. And um, the other thing I, I want to tell you is that a number of years ago, I had a guy who was trained by Tibetans in past life stuff, and he said to me. Part of your life lesson here is you have to you're going to go through really difficult situations and then recover afterwards is a big piece of your life lesson. So I, when you were talking about that, I, I was thinking, yeah, I've heard that from a from a psychic something like that before. Um, mm-hmm. I think I've gotten through that part. So I'm wondering once you get that, there's I'm assuming there are other things to get to. It's not just one thing you do in this life. True. But the other thing is, are you going to teach others? We got to get out of here having passed on our knowledge to at least one person. I don't care who you are. So maybe if you've gotten over all of that Michigas, which is Yiddish for mess, in case anybody doesn't know out there. I'm I'm aware. Okay. Um, I live in Boca. (laughs) There you go. So once you get through all that, then you teach others with it. You give away what you've earned. We're down to the last minute and a half of the show. But, Corby, I want you to tell our listeners where they can contact you really, really quick. And I wanted to get that in before our time was up, where they can get your books and how you could be reached. Wonderful. Well, as of this morning, we have a brand-new spiffy site, and it is com, spelled exactly the way you see it on the blog. And you will see all kinds of articles and the services I do, and I've got some special offers now and just – it's party time, kids. Once you're there, I promise you, you're going to spend a good hour or two just going through it and seeing all the good stuff. Fantastic. So, CorbyMitlight.com? That's right. That's right. You can also find me on Facebook at Fire Through Spirit. Oh, cool. Corby, it's been an absolute pleasure having you. Thank you so much for joining us. It was such a great conversation. Thank you very, very much. I had a great time, guys. Thanks for asking me. And You're I had, welcome. and I've made a, and I made a lot of notes, so I'm sure you'll be hearing from me shortly. Wonderful. 
<laughs> and for our listeners to join us late, please, you can catch this catch this show on iTunes, um, com, wherever you get your podcast from, so you won't have to miss it. You can hear it from the beginning, and it's available worldwide. So y'all go check it out. Go listen. Might learn a couple of things. Great. Absolutely. Come back next week, same time, 2.30 PST and 5.30 EST. What up, nephew? It's your Uncle Snoop Dogg, man. We got to put this Uncle Snoop's army together, man. Because you know me, I'm an opportunist, man. I love giving opportunity, you dig it? So what I'm going to do, I'm going to kick it off like I know how. And then we're going to let them come in and do what they do. Because I got to let you know.